my observation of you guys at the finish was, I mean, everyone was shelled, of course, but it was also a little bit like stunned. You guys all seemed stunned that a race could have been that fast. And yet, you know, Alexi was 25 minutes behind Keegan. It was just, it was this general sense of like, what just happened? It's showtime, everybody! Showtime! You've been living in a dream world, Neo. This is the world as it exists today. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Listen, we're talking about practice. Repeat on the dude's road. Donnie, you're out of your element. I see. You think this has nothing to do with you. Don't ever trash talk black Jesus. This is the Adventure Stash with Pace and McAlvin. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to another recap episode, Leadville 100 today. We have lots to cover, but before we get to that, I wanted to give you a quick heads up that Crossing Tasmania, the biggest film project that I've been a part of thus far, is finally live online, streamable on both Red Bull TV and my YouTube channel. Uh, It tells the story of a 360-mile bike ride that I did from coast to coast across Tasmania, which is the least populated state in Australia. It's an island about the size of Wisconsin um, off the southeastern coast of Australia. It is wild. It was, I want to say the coolest bike ride I've ever done, but I've done some really cool bike rides. I'm going to say top three. It's a story I'm really proud of. Um, It goes far beyond just the bike ride. Um, and I'm really proud of it and I hope you go watch it Red Bull TV or on my YouTube channel. Uh, first quick refresh on how these recap episodes work. We're going to kick things off with, uh, some sound bites from you listeners that participated in the Leadville 100. These are voice memos that you send in. They're about 45 to 60 seconds each. And, uh, just kind of give some texture to these events as a whole, because, Um, I mean, let's be honest, we spend a lot of time talking about the pointy end of the races, but here in the U.S., the bread and butter of these events um, is their mass participation aspect. So, yes, they're really fast at the front, but there are thousands of participants that are just out there for the experience. And we want to make sure uh, that we honor all of those experiences, too, and all of those efforts. And so uh, putting these little montages together at the front end of these recap episodes is how we do that. And 1UP USA is the supporter that helps make this happen. They're the official partner of this opening segment. And I want to say a big thank you to them for making it happen. Um, We recently got our Rack Attach 2.0, which is this really cool add-on that you can get for your bike rack that allows it to swivel open. It's basically a big fancy hinge, super heavy-duty hinge uh, that allows you to get into the back of your vehicle without any worry. Um, has a payload capacity up to 275 pounds. And we're just a massive fan um, of this new piece and a massive fan of 1UP USA period. You can go to the number 1UP-USA.com to check out all their awesome products. Also, as part of this episode, of course, we will have some banter with Betsy Welsh, the awesome journalist who does such great coverage for all of these events. She works for Velo. Um, New now, though is we have Ellen Campbell, who is part of the Grand Prix, doing very well, uh, Durango, Colorado, local. 
um, I kind of realized that, you know, in, in Betsy and my banter, you know, we, we end up talking about the men's race really easily. It flows well. And I'm able to provide a lot of context because I was there. I saw things happen. Um, in the women's race, not as much. So we needed someone who's in the women's race and, you know, seeing things unfold in real time to provide some context. So we brought Ellen in and she's doing an awesome job. Um, so we now kind of have two parts to, uh, the discussion of how these events go. Uh, so that's something to look forward to. And then of course we also have our file analysis segment, which is, yeah, I think extra interesting this week because we saw a power file that, uh, has, you know, kind of gone beyond anything I've seen before. So it was fun to dig into, not fun to be on the receiving end of. Um, lastly, I want to say a big thank you to Dometic for supporting today's episode and so many episodes in the past. Uh, we're in the middle of a hefty double header, uh, race week here, obviously did the level 100, then, uh, hopped over to steamboat gravel, um, this week. And amidst it all, we're relying on our Dometic CFX 25 cooler, which is a hearty little unit. Um, it's a powered cooler, flexible power. You can power it off of one of their lithium ion batteries, off of a vehicle, off of a solar panel. They're super durable. We love them so much. And you can get yourself 20% off by using code stash 23 at Dometic.com right now. Um, 20% off. That is kind of blows my mind. The discount that these brands, uh, offer out pretty sweet. Thanks Dometic. Y'all rock. Dometic.com stash 23. All right. Catch you after the show. Hi, my name is Richard Henry. I'm from Austin, Texas. I've only been riding for about two years, and that's my first attempt to going to the Leadville Trail 100. Uh, I'm pretty excited. It was an honor and awesome. Pretty stoked about everything. Found the trail to be difficult, but I enjoy that, and that's why I do this. And Met a lot of really awesome people along the way. On the way right before the single track, I saw someone with their wheel broken on the back end, passed them by, I was going pretty fast, and I decided to ride back and help them out. Didn't think it was gonna hit my timing that hard. Ended up with a DNF at the Twin Lakes Dam aid station right then and there, and I was a little bit shook. But it's okay, I still competed the race, had a great time. Plan to go do it next year and the stage race. But I did get to go to the finish line and see Sophia cross it and a bunch of other people cross it, which was just a bunch of inspiration right then and there. I'm just pretty stoked about everything. I look forward to next year. Had a fun time. Hi, my name is Carly from Leadville, Colorado, and the 100 was my very first bike race ever. I learned a ton, and it was so special to be cheered on by all my Leadville friends and family. Um, I participated in my very first pace line ever around the fish hatchery and saw how much faster that could make you. Um, I was having a great first half of my race. It felt like a party. Um, but by the time I got back to pipeline, I was really bonking. Um, I just couldn't get enough calories in and a total stranger named Ryan from San Diego told me to hop on his wheel right after pipeline. And I told him, I don't think I can trade you poles. And he said, that's okay, get on my wheel, I'll take you around. And he pulled me all the way to pipeline or to power line. So thank you so much, Ryan. That was super meaningful and it helped me to cross the finish line. Hi, Payson, my name is Devin Wiggins. I am from Vineyard, Utah. 
This is my first year racing the Leadville 100. Uh, day started off great. Uh, the first two climbs went by no problem. Had uh, some good groups going through the flats on my way to Columbine. Columbine went by nicely. It was fun watching you guys uh, tear down the descent while we climbed up. Uh, on the way back, uh, felt pretty crappy through the flats. Thought my hopes of going sub nine were out, out the window. Got to Carter Summit at about eight hours, 10 minutes. I knew if I had a chance, I had to lay it all out there. Hit the bottom of the boulevard with about 17 minutes left, not knowing exactly how long it was gonna take. I crested the hill with the finish in sight as I watched my computer uh, hit nine hours. I crossed the line at nine hours, 25 seconds. Uh, one of the last ones not to make the cutoff. Uh, fun year. Look forward to hitting it next year. Hey Payson, this is Brandon Smith, Elk Ridge, Utah. This year's Leadville 100 was absolutely amazing. I felt the course conditions were absolutely perfect with the rain and this year made for some very fast times. I was able to receive my 1000 mile buckle for 10 years at Leadville. This is a goal that started years ago and that makes one small buckle and nine big buckles. I did have a scare when I crashed for the first time ever at Leadville coming across the Carter Aid Station when I reached for a gel and somehow got knocked off my bike flat on my side. I hurried and got up and continued racing even though blood was spilling down my leg. Luckily it stopped and I was able to continue on for an 8 hour 28 minute finish which was 3 minutes faster than last year. I enjoy listening to the podcast on my training rides. Keep up the good work and fun to see you at Leadville. So we're back. Uh, Grand Prix round four recap. We're officially over halfway, but barely. Um, it almost felt like this conversation wasn't going to happen. <laughs> you are on stage five of six. No, we finished today. Stage You're six done. Is yeah. Congratulations. That's why, that's why I told you I don't have much time. I got to go to awards. I got to have a beer. Come on. <laughs> so what I what I liked is so we we're both super short on time, but you were like, I got to be at a podium, which is really fun because, you know, usually I'm the one in the racer seat right now. Yeah. I'm not racing. You are. You've been racing a lot. You finished second overall in your age group and you won today's stage of the Breck Epic. I did. How does that feel? <laughs> Well, to be fair, I only won because the girl who's been beating me got lost. Um, but like, then that's I was an like, important well, piece of being successful, though. Yeah, like I don't know how she got lost. The course is so well marked, so I figure, you know, that's part of tactics, uh, not getting lost. <laughs> um, no, but I'm psyched. I got second every day except one. I got third because I was just having like. I feel like day three of stage races or day three of any big thing is just my, that's like my bad day. Mm -hmm. So day three, I got passed, but no, pretty strong second place all through the, the race. And yeah, I'm going to go to this podium thing and then get in the truck and hopefully not fall asleep on my way to steamboat. <laughs> yeah. So you're coming straight to steamboat. Um, yeah. So that's why the conversation almost didn't happen for you. It almost didn't happen for me because apparently Steamboat Gravel, SBT Gravel, is basically sea otter now, which is 
crazy. I mean, Nicole and I just got back from, we left the house at noon and we got back at five or four fifty. Um, just because like, there's so many brands here. We let a group ride. Um, there's just so much going on and every it's the sea otter thing. Like every time you turn around, there's someone else that wants to talk to you or someone, you yep. know, and it's just, it was, it's unreal. Um, and my yeah. conclusion based on following you guys racing Breck, Leadville, which we're going to talk about and steamboat, like this little eight day period, us bike racing is insane <laughs> right now. Like it is blowing up and there's something for everyone like every single one of these events in the last eight days is totally different uh and not to mention the colorado trail race um, right which was just one um and if you're into like crits i think there was an ncl cup in denver <laughs> oh, on it's Sunday. too much too much yeah right <laughs> and it, it's it, it's cool because like for us who this is our world and our job we're like yes it's so healthy it's like this is good but then i mean is it is it or are we just in such a bubble that this just happens to be like this crazy 10 days but so what are you going to write about this week for breck or for just whatever how do you pick <laughs> or do you have well, to cover it all i ha i mean yeah i was getting up early like i got up early the other day to write the steamboat preview before stage five of the breck epic i was writing leadville race reports when i got here to breck on saturday night um and so no but i do want to write about this experience um because it was really it was cool in a lot of ways and i really hope that this event like i hope you guys you guys you like your um contemporaries can make this part of your calendar because it's rad i hear you guys saying all the time you want to ride more mountain bikes you mm -hmm. want to race more mountain bikes and to ha i was talking with lachlan the other night and he was like they're all here like everyone is here not in breck but everyone's in colorado so mm. you know it, it was just like almost frustrating that not everyone was racing because everyone's in such close vicinity yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We okay. should talk about Leadville. Sure should. Um, first, I am going to read off the results. Okay. Um, I guess I'll do top 20? I don't know. No, Are I need to go... Are you just going to do straight Leadville or GP? I'll do straight Leadville and I'll say if someone wasn't in the G isn't in the GP. Okay. Okay. First, Keegan Swenson. We'll talk more about that. Uh, a mere 25 minutes ahead of second, Alexi Vermaelen. Yeah. Third, John Gaston, not in the Grand Prix. Cole Patton, fourth. Howard Gratz, Zach Calton, Russell Finsterwald, Braden Lang, Lachlan Morton, Petr Vakoc, me, Andreas Siwa. Also, okay, so I said there was a 25-minute gap between first and second. Second to... Me in 11th, 10 minutes. Right. What? Okay. Yeah. Andreas Seewald, not in the Grand Prix. 2021 Marathon World Champion, current German Marathon National Champion. Crazy. Alex Howes, 13th. Todd Wells, not in the Grand Prix. Maybe should be. Said he doesn't want to be. He's retired, but not that retired because he was 14th. <laughs> Jack Odron, Logan Owen, Dylan Johnson, Peter Stetna. Brendan Johnston, Rob Britton, Ryan Standish, Cody Cup, not in the Grand Prix, definitely should be in the Grand Prix next year. Mm -hmm. 
Corey Wallace, I don't think in the Grand Prix this Not year. Not this year, nope. Brennan Wirtz, Andrew Lesperance, straight from Scotland, uh, Marathon Wirtz. Worlds. Uh, and I think I'll stop there. Quick honorable mentions to some other Grand Prix riders. Ian Lopez de San mm-hmm. Roman was 28th. Tasman, 29th. Griffin Easter, 30th. Tobin Ortenblad, 31st. Taylor Ledeen, 32nd. Nathan Spratt. Eric Brunner, 35th. That should just about do it. Um, anything you want to comment on that generally before I read the women's? Oh, there's, there's, it would be too many rabbit holes. Let's go to the women and then okay. we'll circle back. Sophia Gomez Villafane, uh, 10 minutes off the record. Pretty close. Mm-hmm. Speaking of pretty, pretty close, Ruth Winder, less than two minutes down. We'll talk about her more in a minute, but uh, with about a mile to go, she was 12 seconds behind Sophia. Alexa Scarda third, that's your podium. Hannah Otto, Haley Smith fifth, Crystal Anthony, Sarah Sturm, Jenna Reinhardt, amazing ride by Jenna Reinhardt coming yeah. from the Midwest. Absolutely awesome. We had her on the podcast previously. Ellen Campbell, Kate McLaughlin, I don't think in the Grand Prix. Not in the Grand Prix. Anna Yamauchi, Paige Onweller, Lauren DeCrescenzo, Deanna Mails, Heather Jackson, Caroline Torrey, Kaylee Blevins, shout out. Chris yes. Blevins' sister, yep. make it a big yep. comeback. She actually yep. used to race professionally. 17th, that's so impressive. Not in the Grand Prix. Catherine Colon, Chelsea Bolton, uh, Cecily Decker, Flavia Oliveira, not in the Grand Prix. Caroline Mani, Sarah Max, Lisa Bucaris, not in the Grand Prix. Leah Vanderlinden, Emma Grant, Trish Thomas, who won the 40 to 49 category. Shout out Durango. Yeah. Angela Nath, okay, uh, speeding up a little. Emily Newsom was 31st in the Grand Prix. Hannah Shell, 33rd in the Grand Prix. Julie Momber, I think, in the Grand Prix, 35th. Mm-hmm. Becca Faringer, 36th in the Grand Prix. That should do it, I think. That's your quick rundown. Yeah. It goes so deep, though. I'm just, I keep scrolling, and it's like... I know! It's so cool to see all these names and of these women and... Some of them I'm like, oh, she's a local, like I know her from Colorado or, oh, she's, yeah, she's an ultra runner, Hillary Allen. So it's really cool to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So things, my couple of conclusions just from the results in general, um, there are more good people than ever doing this race, more really fast people who have had big results than ever doing this race. With one exception, everyone is packed more closely, like the fact that that second through 11th is all within 10 minutes. I don't think that's ever been the case in the past. You know, typically it's like five to 10 minutes between finishers. It's such a long, hard race. Same kind of went for the women's results. Um, yeah. And there's just lo- less room for error, you know, in terms of trying to be in the top 10 or be in the podium or whatever your, your goals are. And one example that came to mind for me with this is I remember the first year I did the Leadville 100 was 2017 and we were in uh we had maybe a lead group of like 10 starting the pipeline section and i had a puncture coming down power line and so needed to stop and air it up howard needed to pee really badly so we made a little pact and we're like okay we'll stop together mm-hmm. i don't know still to this day i don't know why but he decided he just needed to run far off into the forest to pee like 100 yards off the course 
So I aired up my tire really fast and he took forever for this pee break. So I was just sitting there waiting because we'd made this pact. We finally get going in and we were a minute down on the lead group of like Todd Wells, Jeremiah Bishop, I think Ben Sontag was in there. He and I ended up bridging up. He won the race. I was third mm-hmm. and I was just like, okay, cool. Leadville's a race where you can come back. Like things can go wrong and come back. This year, Russell punctured at the bottom of Powerline, kind of like I did, and had a super quick fix. One of the helicopters actually had their camera on him. I think he lost like 15, 20 seconds. He never closed back to the lead group. He ended up riding back to a decent result. But the the point is like 15 seconds now in terms of a delay is like race over um, in terms of what could have been, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. I mean, do you think the other races are like, like, I feel like within the Grand Prix, at least Unbound and Leadville are the most prestigious, you know, sort of the most like hype storied. I like Leadville because it, you know, whatever. I know there's a lot of (laughs) dissenters, but it is a mountain bike race, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so I really like Leadville, but like it, I can't tell if it or unbound is sort of the pinnacle of this series Mm. Um, because certainly it was just a few few days ago. So it feels like it was Leadville or is it because Keegan's like, you know, insane result and unbound was a sprint. Like, I I don't know. It's just kind of interesting to put these two races head to head because I think not just within the Grand Prix, but they're the biggest bike races in the United States. Oh, yeah. 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 I think it depends on who you ask. So I was talking to Alexi Vermeulen before the race, and he said something along the lines of he would way, way, way prefer to win Leadville than Unbound because it's been around for so much longer, and he feels hmm. like that matters. Um, but it is a tricky one. I, I think it totally depends on on who you ask. I think probably for the folks that come from the gravel or come from the road, rather, and identify a little bit more as gravel cyclists these days, they would probably pick to win Unbound. And those of us that come from more of a mountain bike background would prefer to win Leadville. But it's crazy because at the finish line, just in terms of being a media person, Mm. I mean, at Unbound, I sort of have to muscle in there to get my interview, my finish line interviews and stuff. At Leadville, I felt like I was the only person. I was like with some Mm. guy from the Vail Daily newspaper, you know, (laughs) like the amount of hype you guys put on it. Oh, interesting. Sort of the attention I felt like it was getting didn't quite... Uh, jive in the way that like huh. you're talking about steamboat is like this sea otter. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just find it interesting that Leadville sort of is this iconic race, yet it it doesn't quite have. And this could be this is probably a bike industry thing. You know, this is a selling bikes um, brand thing. Perhaps it's mm-hmm. not as big them but i was yeah. thrilled to see it so big for all of you guys it, it was so fun it was so fun to be there this year yeah i yeah that's a really interesting thought i think uh yeah just the hype around unbound is so the global hype around unbound is so huge um and so it feels like there's more of a an international fervor around it maybe mm-hmm. um but yeah, I don't know. I feel like to a core, there's like this core crowd that just 
is so passionate about Leadville for whatever reason. And yeah. it kind of has like, it has this just legendary like hard scrabbles. It's almost like for ultra running for anyone who, I don't know how many people will get this reference, but it's almost like UTMB versus hard rock or something or UTMB, you know, versus one of the other like Western States. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of, like if you asked a lot of top level ultra runners, like you'd get different answers on which they'd rather prefer. But UTMB is a way bigger, like global spectacle and like way more media. But from a core standpoint, I think a lot of people would rather win the other. I don't know. It's an interesting, it's interesting you say that. It is funny too, because I saw you just sort of like doing whatever you wanted at the finish, you know, walking up to whoever, right. milling around, like positioning yourself however you wanted to. Um, but at, at Unbound, it was like, get out of the way, like, wait your turn because there's a million cameras mm. um, trying to get in there. It definitely so, felt different this year with the two helicopters overhead the whole time, though. As a racer, that felt crazy. Like like you were in the Tour de France or something? Yeah, or like Cape Epic, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sophia even said that yeah. she knew Ruth was getting yep. close because the helicopter kept like doing this small distance. Totally. That was interesting. Yeah, that's And cool. also so smart on her part to have that awareness. Yep. Impressive. Yeah. What else you got? What are the thoughts? <laughs> um, well, I, you know, before we started recording, it was sort of like, what are, what are we going to talk about? And obviously a course record was not just broken, but um, <laughs> smashed and it was the fastest race ever. And um, I, I said, like, I don't think we need to actually go any deeper than that. Like, I don't think we need to dig for storylines that um, maybe didn't happen or weren't as important as that, because that that really is the storyline. Like I my observation of you guys at the finish was um <laughs> i mean everyone was shelled of course but it was also a little bit like stunned you oh, guys yeah. all seemed stunned that a race could have been that fast and yet you know alexi was 25 minutes behind keegan it was just it was this general sense of like what just happened totally no you hit the <laughs> nail on the head it's the first time i finished a race where i felt genuine shock about you, a, you about particularly a, look shocked <laughs> about a performance yeah because it's yeah. like <laughs> and and when he and i mean god bless him for publishing his numbers like thank you keegan for continuing to make your numbers public it may like when you see the numbers it's like wow that is what you would have to have done mm -hmm. and i'm going to talk about it in our little power file analysis section like okay if you can do those numbers i see how you went 25 minutes faster but I barely can wrap my head around the numbers. Right. Um, and I've talked to a lot of people, um, a lot of people that have a lot of experience about the very top level of cycling. And there's a general consensus that there's one other person that could have done what Keegan did that day on paper, and it's Sepp Kuss. Hmm. Pogachar can't do what Keegan did at altitude, probably. Jonas Vingago probably can't do what Keegan did at altitude. Because if you look at the altitude adjusted numbers, right. he, it's stupid. Like there's no way, there's no way 
that the conversion is the same for Keegan as it is for most other people. Like, it was a higher average power than Vanderpool does when he wins Flanders. It was a higher 60-minute watts per kilo than Jonas did when he dropped Pogachar to win the tour, like when you adjust for altitude. So, like, the rules just don't really apply the same way for Keegan when we get that high. And I think that's, for me, athletically, that's the big conclusion is that you have really, really talented athletes who excel even more when it gets crazy high and, like, their bodies just deal with it better. Do you think Steamboat is the same? Like, No. It's not as high as Leadville, but, you know, it's still, quote, at altitude. I don't um, think so because, I mean, altitude, like the effect of altitude is exponential, right? So, right. yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I told you I was going to turn it back on you, but like, what is this like? I mean, I, again, like you guys all seem stunned and then some of you also seemed frustrated. Like oh, yeah. I know, you know, Cole, he wears his heart on his sleeve and it's like, shit, how can I be so fast? And yet I am so far away from this guy. Yeah. Um, I know that was, that is how it felt. Like I, I'll be totally honest. I didn't sleep very well for two nights because I was thinking about it. Cause you're just at a complete loss. It's like, mm -hmm. we worked so hard. We had this incredible competitive race in the top 10 time wise. And then there's just this other person that's on a completely different planet. And it, you, you would think from the outside, like these, Cause he's dominant, right? At almost every race he's, right. he's been so consistently good. You'd think that over time you'd be like, okay, this is getting disheartening, but it's always been the, the, the door has always been cracked of maybe we can beat him. Mm -hmm. And he did mm -hmm. get beat a couple times last year. Right. Um, here at steamboat, I was very close to him, but this was like such a quantum leap that it really was as a competitor, super deflating. Right. Totally. Totally. At the and same time, while also having huge admiration for what he did. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. I mean, both can be true. I think the interesting thing, and, you know, Sunday is going to be the first time we get to see it, is like, okay, different, totally different, you know, race course, race tactics. Like, you know, I texted him and I said, like, are there any other record-breaking <laughs> you know, things that I should be looking out for? Um, because again, you don't, it's not like Leadville where it's this storied thing and this record has been standing steamboats only, this will only be the fourth race. Um, but it was more like, is this the new norm? You know, is, is it always going to be so huge? Historically, I mean, unbound was a sprint steamboat was a sprint. So I would, I mean, before Leadville, I would have said, I think that's what's going to happen this year. Now it's sort of like, let's wait and see. Mm -hmm. But I'm not the racer, you are. So I don't know what you're anticipating, but. So I, I, I don't think it will continue to be that level of dominance. Just, for, I mean, for a couple of reasons, but one of them is the courses aren't nearly as selective. Mm -hmm. A lot of the other courses. Um, and you can't race with just brute force and like time trial the thing like he did for the second half. Um, so right. I don't I don't think so. 
I was, I, I was just quickly, I was talking to Neil Rogers on a little shakeout ride today about this and how, you know, as, as a fan of cycling, I would love to see what he could do in a grand tour. Um, but he's just, he's barely at the age where a world tour team isn't going to take a big enough risk to pay him enough to pull him away from his awesome, you know, Santa Cruz contract to go race on the road. I mean, I'm sure cause and Neil, Neil's point was like, you'd probably have to come close to paying him double to go to the road because the quality of life is so much better doing what he's doing. Right. Which, and, yeah. I mean, I mean, didn't this happen last summer? Like he went exactly. over there. <laughs> yeah. And I was chatting with Keel about this too. And Keel was like, man, what I would have given to mm-hmm. have had this opportunity 10 yeah. years ago, you right. know, when he to was be home with my friends and my family. Totally. So yeah. I don't think we're going to see Keegan go anywhere. So it'll just be interesting to see, you know, what that means for the rest of us might be a whole lot. Well, of- right. <laughs> and unfortunately we're not going to see Sep come over here. And like, I mean, Sep so- has nothing to gain by that. Like I was thinking about that because Lachlan, <laughs> Lachlan was the one he put up this post and he was like, I've been racking my brains about who in the world could have done what Keegan did mm-hmm. today. And he came up with one person and it was Sep, which I thought was interesting coming from, from Lachlan. Very honest. Um, but yeah, I mean, Sep has nothing to gain from that. Like, Well, like those guys that you mentioned that you don't think could have done that effort at Leadville, like none of them are coming here. So is it sort of, do we have this disparity in talent? Is that what we're going to see going forward? Um, I sure think it'll be can. most magnified at this in Crusher. And other than that, we'll have to be very opportunistic and... Um, just see what happens. But yeah, I mean, we're, we are in, it's funny because on the one hand, people in my position have the most incredible professional opportunity and collection of races that we could ever dream for. Like 10 years ago, nothing like this existed opportunity wise. Right. By the same token, we have potentially the most talented, dominant off-road racer in U.S. history. I know that's a huge statement, but just from a yeah. sheer talent standpoint, yeah. especially these style events. So you have a huge opportunity and then also you have this ridiculous talent that's like putting a bit of a lid on things. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, we could on that on that note, we could swing over to the women's race where it's where it's a lot closer, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. Um, Tell us exciting. what happened. Tell us what happened at the end of the women's race. Well, I have to say there was a lot of excitement when Ruth came within seconds of Sophia um, down on the boulevard, I think is what you guys call it. So that's just a couple miles out. Yeah, if um, that. Yeah, so, I mean, Ruth had an incredible race, and I hope I didn't offend her at the end because I said, you know, Ruth, you kind of have this track record of, like, blowing up pretty spectacularly in some of these races, Everyone, you know, you've got this like world tour engine that sort of starts to shut down around mile 60 or whatever. Um, But she was so strong every time I saw her on course. She was in third all day. Like she did not, she didn't jump up and down in her position. And then, so what happened? So Sophia dropped Alexis on the Columbine climb, rolled through Twin Lakes, then Alexis followed, then Ruth followed. But I guess at the base of Powerline, Ruth had it to go, and Alexis was, you know, 
she passed Alexis on the climb and she got within 12 seconds of Sophia and we were all just like, oh my God, oh my God, Ruth is going to be Sophia. But <laughs> we should not have um, forgotten that Sophia is a consummate competitor and a really intense human. And like you were just saying, like Sophia noticed that the moto was sort of like not coming and the helicopter was doubling back and she said at one point she looked back and she saw ruth and it just it lit her up she was like you're not going to lose this race in the last three miles um i think she posted this on instagram like am i going to wait and am i going to draft and we're going to sprint or am i just going to like see what i can do and clearly she has been doing the work yeah and she also rolled the dice tire wise and I thought oh, was, tires. yeah, she was really honest about that too. I think, I mean, for all the flack that Sophia gets for being so outspoken, you can't argue with her honesty too. And I thought it was pretty cool that she basically credited her tires in large part for the win. Really, she was like, if I hadn't run these 47 with gravel tires, I don't think I would have won the race today. Yeah, which... I mean, and to her credit, she went and did the Leadville stage race. Like totally. nobody else did that. Nobody. And Lauren she's, did. Dick Crescenzo. Oh, Lauren did. Yeah. But they did it for very different reasons, right? Like Lauren is learning how to mountain bike. Yeah. Sophia just wanted to study the shit out of this course and test those tires. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I, I mean, I just, it's so cool when it, when, um, that the race, you know, came down so close between them and, Ruth has had a rough couple of weeks. Um, she's been sick. The death in Boulder was someone she knew very well. Um, yeah. So, and she, you know, this isn't a secret entirely, but um, she's going back to the road. Yeah. So I heard that day before yesterday. Yeah. So I think she, there's a, like a lightness maybe to her um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. racing. Excitement. Yeah. And excitement and sort of like, not that, the pressure's off. Like she, she is also a consummate competitor, like put a, put a plate on her handlebars and she's going to race. But I think there's something to be said for like a more lightness of being that you can just take more risk and just go. Yeah. So that was really cool to see. It was, it was, I'm excited to see where she ends up next year. Apparently it's not a little trek that she's going to ride for. So no new bike. Stay tuned. Um, <laughs> Well, you need to go. You need to go to the podium and drink beers. I'm so excited and happy for you and uh, also looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. Yeah. I'll try not to be one of the hundreds of people that stopped you in the expo. I would love to be stopped. I always love being stopped by you, Betsy. (laughs) All right, Faison. We'll see you real soon. Sounds good. Thank you for the time as always. Okay, we are here with Ellen Campbell. We are in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Four days post Leadville. Four days pre Steamboat. Is that true? Does that math work out? We're in the we're exactly between Leadville and Steamboat. And uh, this is a new thing we're doing for the recap episodes. Uh, having you, we'll we'll have you help us regularly for all the recap episodes because one thing that betsy and i realized is that she can kind of prompt me on different things to share about the men's race but i obviously have very little to share about the women's race and so we thought having 
a perspective from someone that's towards the front of the women's race would be really awesome. And you were game. Cool. So here we are. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's talk um, women's race. <laughs> Ellen, this was your second Leadville? Yep, second one. But like my fourth one being at, because before I raced, I went and hung out and gave bottles to yeah. Howard and Sarah. Mm-hmm. And raced Nika there actually a long time mm. ago when I was a wee wee child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you had a really awesome ride last year. Was last year your best Grand Prix result? It was. Yeah, yeah. seventh last year, sixth in the Grand Prix. Because I remember you talking quite a bit about how it was a really special day and everything just kind of clicked. And mm-hmm. those days don't happen super often in racing, but you had one. Yep. Um, how did that affect the way that you went into it this year yeah it was a lot of pressure honestly from myself from no one else but just from myself i really wanted to recreate those feelings and that sensation from having like a magical perfect day um we all know it's not possible to have exactly the same experience um so yeah i was nervous for like three weeks (laughs) unnecessarily but what can you do um Yeah, I just trained really hard and tried to do a little bit more training than last year and and try to keep the nerves calm and and get the brain space um, in the right, you know, get in the right brain space for it. I think that's kind of the crux. Like, you can do all the right training, but if your brain's not there, then it's not there. So, yeah, yeah, really worked on the brain, the mental game, I would say. How did you work on that? Um... Well, I made a plan. I've learned that I like to worry about every bad thing that could happen. Like if you show up on race day and your legs feel really bad, what do you do? So I talked through with my coach and my therapist and Sarah and like literally everyone what I do if it's a bad day. (laughs) If I get a flat, I fix it. If I have bad legs, well, I just ride to the next aid station and then I reassess and then ride to the next aid station and then reassess and so on and so forth. Um, and then once I made a bad day plan or B plan, I made an A plan for if I was in it and I was feeling good. Um, and that was mostly just to ride really steady. I knew that, well, there was some chatter before the race mostly, um, about a fast start. I think like Sophia and, um, probably Alexis and Sarah, they all kind of knew like Keegan's going for this record. So it's going to be fast start. Um, and I think Sophia for sure took advantage of that. I mean, who didn't, <laughs> why wouldn't you? Um, so yeah, we all kind of tried very best with our small chain rings <laughs> to stay on the Tobin's wheel, I guess, who was mm-hmm. leading out Keegan. Um, yeah. Did you run a 34? I ran a 34. It's yeah. funny that these days that's called small quotation marks. Yeah, I almost <laughs> ran a 32 and I'm really glad I didn't. Um, but that is interesting that yeah. you say that about kind of being prepared for that super fast start and an unusual Leadville start because the start always feels kind of fast because it's false flat pavement downhill and yeah. there's some very natural excitement that happens by the race starting. So it always sort of feels like a fast start. I don't know why I completely overlooked that there would be just a full gas start like that because in hindsight, it was so obvious. 
Yeah. Because Keegan made no secrets about the fact that he wanted to smash this record. But I, I completely spaced it. So I was back, I don't know, six or eight rows. And so kind of had to scramble to like get in the draft of the, the group that was already splitting, like mm-hmm. right at the right hand turn, you know, a quarter mile in or whatever it was. And it did impress me how many of you top women were just tucked in like in the top 10, just like in the pace line. I was like, whoa, these people knew that this was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I I heard Sophia say like, oh, I'm on rollers. So if anyone didn't gather that it was going to be a fast start, that's on them. So, um, which is, yeah, super true, I guess. I, I heard it from Sarah and she was texting Sophia and that's how it gets around, I guess. But also like last year was pretty... F- I thought it was fast last year and it was, you know, it was probably average, um, start. So yeah, I think a lot of women did pretty good job of being up there. I know Sophia got right on Tobin's wheel. Very impressive. (laughs) I was spun out, could not go very far. And then Alexis moved up there. Um, and a few other ladies kind of like snuck in there, but for the most part, we were all kind of like floating, near the like back of that little <laughs> charging group by the time we hit dirt um really only a few ladies sarah alexis and um sophia were able to kind of keep going with that I'm, I'm sure they fell back a little bit but keep going and i i myself was like okay check engine light <laughs> slow down a little bit this is too hard um and i think Haley also immediately kind of sat up and was like oop okay hannah did the same thing jenna reinhardt um did the same thing which is actually yeah jenna was crushing it out yeah. there yeah that was an impressive ride actually really impressive I, I haven't really ridden with her much or raced with her much um but she was charging she was climbing really well and she didn't say a single word the whole day and she just kind of yeah she was just in there and kind of are hiding. you familiar with her background at all not really no so i had her on the podcast for a little mini episode a couple of months back and she was one of those because she's always been like she'll pop up and do a really good result and i've always kind of wondered who who is this what's her story she raced um at a really high level when she was a junior in u23 and like went to junior world champs in rotorua in new zealand and all kinds of stuff and it sort of made sense um in hindsight but she took a bunch of time off because she bought a bike shop and started oh, running this what? bike shop yeah no way okay yeah. now i really like her yeah, 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 <laughs> i yeah. haven't even met her really yeah you should go back and listen to that one okay um, she's she's really cool anyway i was really excited to see her have a great ride um but for so you're kind of describing the start <clears throat> yeah were you able to keep tabs on those other people you just mentioned like hey were you able to see them because i think that's one thing that sometimes fans of the race or people that are following the race lose sight of is that the women just get mixed in with all of these other pro men and really strong non-pro men. Yeah. And it's just like a completely different variable for you to handle. Yeah. It was a bit of a mess. It kind of always is a bit of a mess. It's just hard to see where other competitors are. Um, and I guess I did miss Ruth. Ruth was up there. Mm. Um, so that's my bad, but yeah, there was kind of those four ladies that were up there and eventually, yeah, basically as soon as it started to get steep, I couldn't see them. Um, and I I found my little group, you know, like I, Jenna was right in front of me and Haley was right next to me and 
um, I just was like, okay, I can kind of see Sarah. I could see like her helmet. Mm. Um, I, you know, she's easy to spot and pretty used <laughs> to the kit. And so I tried to keep tabs on Sarah, but eventually like between switchbacks and stuff, she was gone. Um, so yeah, trying to keep eyes on who it seemed I was like riding the same pace as, um, that was kind of more my goal. And yeah, it's like, well, if you go out too hard, you can blow out. So I was trying to just keep it chill. And I think everyone else I was with was also trying to do that. But at some point you're just climbing your own pace and you can't like wait for people and you can't like overexert yourself to catch someone Yeah, too early at least. So um yeah it gets really confusing mostly you just don't know where you are yeah yeah yeah. unless you're in the front yeah you know um so what would you say was the next kind of noteworthy phase of the race for you or interesting thing happen um interesting thing (laughs) i don't know if it's interesting (laughs) um yeah we just had like a really good group going up um the backside of Powerline. What do they call Sugar it? Loaf. Sugarloaf. Yes. Um, Hannah, Haley, Jenna, Anna, Yamauchi. All of y'all were in a group together. Yeah. Wow. It was really cool. And um, Crystal, Anthony. Uh-huh. And so that was really cool. It was like, what? Why are we? This is like, this is the most women I've raced with in a long time. <laughs> Very cool. Um, at least in a mass start race, you know? So, um, yeah, we had a really good group. Eventually, Haley kind of pulled away from us. And I tried to follow, but couldn't. Um, and then we just had a big group rolling literally through Powerline. Um, we stayed in that same group. Haley was off the front from us a little ways, but the rest of us stayed all the way to the base of Columbine, um, which was actually really sweet. We did the whole single track descent hmm. together. Um, I'm sure there's like a ton of photos of like five, six women racing together. That's cool. Yeah, that was, I think that was pretty noteworthy. No one had any mechanicals that I saw. Um, everyone got through the descent, power line descent, fine. I dinged rim once. Didn't do anything to me, I hope. <laughs> that made me really nervous. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we all made it through fine. And, and then as soon as we hit Columbine, it kind of started to split. Um, you know, Anna, Anna Yamauchi was going through and the aid stations. We were picking up like bottles at, um, pipeline, like 28 miles in. And she was, she was all upset because she got her bottles. And then she looks at me and she's like, they didn't give me an update on Christopher. Oh. And so Christopher Blevins was racing yeah. amongst others or racing, uh, world champs at mm-hmm. the exact same time we were. And she was bummed out. And I thought that was funny. And I just said, Anna, you need to focus on your race. (laughs) They'll give you an update later. Did you say that? I did. I said, Anna, focus on your race. You're doing very well right now. Like you could, (laughs) you can do very well at this race. Like Christopher will be fine. Like you need to focus on you. That's fun. Yeah. So that was kind of a funny moment. I kind of forgot about that. (laughs) Cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I know you had a, I don't know how you want to describe it, but a crux point in your race at the bottom of Columbine that you mentioned. Yes. Yeah, I made a mistake. Well, before we get to there, I do okay. want to say on Columbine, Lauren DiCrescenzo came yeah. f- flying by. Oh, wow. Um, and Paige also ended up catching us on Columbine. I was kind of off the front from that. Um, well, Hannah was way off the front. And then I tried to follow Hannah. And then Anna and um, Crystal 
and Jenna were behind me. And then Lauren and Paige came flying by. And by the top, I, you know, I started, they had got to the top before me, but then I passed them coming down. Oh, really? What do you think the gap was over the top? How much did you close to them? Oh. Did you, did you take like a visual time check at all at the turnaround to oh. know how much time you had to close on the descent? Um, I mean, I just knew I was going to catch them. Oh, dang. Like it's, I don't want to sound mean or anything, but they are, they're just new into the mountain biking. Yep. Totally. Their skills are not as developed. I mean, as someone that's come from a mountain biking since I was a (laughs) three-year-old. Um, but that's what I wanted to say is like over the course of the whole day, we kind of leapfrogged because of these descents, these specifically these two ladies that I was able to see literally were cruising uphill, like cruising, <laughs> like so going so hard and so fast and so deep. And that because of their lack of descending skills, um, they, you know, we were able to catch them and bring them back. And I, I am just, I'm impressed because they had so much determination, so much grit to, to climb so quickly and, hmm. I was just impressed because like descending is scary. (laughs) It is very scary, especially when you're not very good at it. Mm -hmm. And so to have that like grit to race at the front of the race or try, it's like, dang. Especially coming down Columbine where you have two way traffic on this narrow. Yeah. 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 And to like, know you're not going to be able to like, you did all of that work to get to the top of the climb and then you know like instantly you're going to get passed by everyone you just passed like yeah. that's got to feel not great but like good on them for like i'm just impressed because they worked so hard and then to keep coming back too yeah like the, it just yeah. never ended i was like and there they are again <laughs> and it was just like this all day you know back and forth back and forth but yeah then i made a mistake so i passed i passed lauren i passed paige um and anna and Crystal and Jenna were all behind me and then I stopped to pee (laughs) at the bottom of Columbine um so yeah I guess there's us ladies have to stop to pee basically when we're racing um and another another difference between the men's and women's race (laughs) yes big difference there um so yeah unfortunately um it's either stop or pee or pee or chamois pee Mm -hmm. your pants um and last year I did pee my pants proud of it i was a little embarrassed at the time but now i'm proud of it because it meant i didn't have to stop and i got to hang on to my seventh place and a lot of women do pee um i heard from sarah she's like i don't really pee unless i'm in contention and i was like "Ooh, maybe i should stop and pee and then um i know like in previous years like rose and sarah kind of went back and forth on the day mostly because each of them stopped to pee so then like (laughs) before this race was so heavy in terms or like deep in terms of the field people were just stopping to pee and now it's like don't stop to pee you're gonna lose uh, like five places which (laughs) is what it felt like at the time basically i i should have peed at the top or peed my pants because then i would have had momentum and then I also probably would have been had a group because from co- the base of Columbine all the way to the base of Powerline, I was alone. Really? Yeah. Like fully solo or no women? There was like one dude that we kind of connected like maybe for 10 minutes. Oh, um, man. T- maybe, yeah, maybe 10, 15 minutes. Oof. 
and Paige, I could see Paige behind me. Um, so yeah, I was alone, which sucked, which had a headwind that whole way back. We yeah. had a headwind. Yeah, so, yeah. um, so I was beat myself up for sure on that one, but that's a lesson you learn, I guess. Pee your chamois. <laughs> so did Paige catch you? No. But then I think you passed some people. I did. I caught Lauren. I caught Anna mm-hmm. on power line um, and didn't catch anyone else. So it's like, it's hard to know like what group I would have been with and whatever had I not stopped. But I guess if you don't have to think about going pee, you don't have to carry the weight of your pee, <laughs> then <laughs> maybe it's a good thing. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I was pretty much alone until then. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's the weird thing about this race is the climbs are so selective, but there's two like really long rolling slash flat sections in the middle where it's yeah. super advantageous to have a group. And I sort of made a little bit of a mistake on Columbine too, where I paced the bottom way too conservatively and lost a bunch of time mm. and then was riding fast for the second half, but sort of ran out of climb to latch back on to the big chase group. So I ended up in the smaller chase group and it was like three of us versus seven in front. Mm. And yeah. you can play the what ifs game, but it's just part of the race. Like you just, the, the group dynamics actually do matter a lot. Um, totally. And it's, it's a weird race to manage cause you have such huge climbs, but the, the flat section is almost as important. Totally. Yeah. I mean, lucky for me, I felt really good the second half and who knows how that would have felt to do all that like solo headwind chasing on the flats by myself. If I felt like crap, Lucky for me, I felt not like crap, probably because I peed. <laughs> Who knows? Could go on and on about that. But So yeah. you ended up top 10? Top um, 10, ninth place. On paper, two spots lower than last year, but a way deeper field. 11 minutes quicker than and last year. And 11 minutes quicker than last year. That was the, that's what I was angling towards. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm proud of it. Yeah. yeah. It was a good one. What was your finish time? Oh gosh, seven thirty-seven. Ripping people. Yes. <laughs> I think it is fun because this is one of the few races where people actually care about finish time. Totally. Um, and it's always fun, you know. In the X area, I get asked a lot, "What time are you shooting for?" Yeah. I'm like, well, it, I'm shooting for a result. You know, if yeah. I win in nine hours, that would be awesome. <laughs> <We could. laughs> but, yeah totally exactly someone else asked me that and i was like i don't even know <laughs> but this year was kind of cool because it was so much faster everyone did good yeah. did go faster we had the nice dirt the rain the kind cool of tents. clouds yeah it was it was really pretty actually riding out there i remember like talking to i think hannah hannah and i were looking up at columbine as we're kind of approaching that like you do that little chicane thing mm. in the dirt before you head up. And I was like looking and I was like, um, are we going to get dumped on? Like, should <laughs> I bring a rain jacket up there? And, yeah. and I told someone in the aid station or the feed zone or whatever, I was like, can I have a vest? Like, give me something. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. So it worked out fine. It wasn't that bad up there, but cool. Yeah. What else? Any other things you wanted to share? Any other observations? Mm. topics of interest yeah um i like kind of like made notes of like what you know people were dealing with i guess like emma grant who had a really great result at crusher last year this was i think her first time doing leadville i know she was not super excited for the race but maybe she was she was kind of (laughs) 
she's been a little aloof, but she broke her thumb before the oh, like no. a week before the race, so she couldn't uh. shift for a long time. And we had a funny conversation about uh. not shifting or like reaching your hand over to shift with your other hand. Oh no! Um, so that was kind of you know little details like that breaking your thumb. Flavia, mm-hmm. um, she it was her first mountain bike race ever. She got her mountain bike like a week or two ago. Wow. Yep. And is she originally from South America somewhere? Mm-hmm. Brazil? Yeah. Yes, I think so. Yeah. yeah. She, um, she's not in the Grand Prix. She got in the first year, but she decided to, she didn't have a mountain bike. So she decided to give her spot away mm. and focus on the gravel. Um, but yeah, this was her first mountain bike. She got third at Crusher. Oh, wow. Um, in July. So she was on fire, like, I mean, she's a great climber. Mm-hmm. I guess the only, I don't know. There was just like, I know like some, like Sarah Sturm had a hard day out there. I think she had high hopes for herself and it's tough when you fall short of that. Um, but she was also a great, you know, she's a great role model in terms of like before and after she was helping Anna and I get all of our bottles dialed and um, just being a good cheerleader. And then at the finish was there for all of the, the hugs and mm-hmm. tears and all of that. Um, it was, it was cool to see, you know, the amount of women that kind of came, like hung around the finish to cheer mm-hmm. for the rest of the women that came mm-hmm. in. I thought that was pretty special. Um, you know, nice. like Michaela Thompson, our teammate f- was able to finish. I think she was 21st or 22nd. She, had a hard day out there, but was also pretty proud of going through all the emotions. I feel like when yep. you're out there, you go through everything. Um, Kaylee Blevins yeah, signed up with her out. boyfriend, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which was cool. And she actually rode that on Mo's bike, which is really mm, cool that yeah. Mo got second place on. Um, so I think that was a, an emotional but very like worthwhile yeah. hard feat that she did. No kidding. Um, so that was cool. Yeah, trying to think of anything else. Did you change anything bike setup wise this year? Um, I after didn't... after you know gaining experience last year, I mean. No, I didn't. Honestly, well, last year I rode a hardtail, and this year I rode the World Cup, which mm-hmm. is a little bit smoother, um, especially on like the descents. I still ran no dropper post. I thought the weight was worth it. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people kind of sacrifice the dropper post for that. Um, it is like one of those things you go for the lightest thing that will get you down the mountain, basically. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I know a lot of ladies drop to a smaller chain ring. Um, is 34 typically what you run mm-hmm. like across the board for races yeah. these days? I usually run 34. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't, you know, some people, you know, bump up a little bit. I like Haley. You know, maybe that's a mix. I'm mixing up my races. Um, but yeah, I know people will bump up, but or bump down. Who yeah. knows? I don't know what other people ran. I'm not too big into the the gear as much. Like, oh, so and so is doing this. I should do this. Yeah. I don't usually do that. So. Did you talk to Ruth after the race at all? Do you chat with her? I did actually. I did for a moment. We were sitting on the curb. She was. We were just trying to eat the like post ride meal they give you. Um. She was stoked. She was really stoked. I think um, she was bummed that people were like, oh, like for, you know, like the roadie, you know, being labeled the roadie. I mean, she comes from a road background, so it makes sense. But um, yeah, she was really happy. And 
it was kind of cool to hear how she went you know like when she got close to sophia and then sophia like turned her head and like put the power down um but she was yeah she was really happy i think yeah she was really stoked i'm pretty sure ruth lives pretty high elevation too so this race definitely makes sense yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah makes sense um not that that's the only factor for the day um a lot of people put in a lot of prep for this i know like I mean, what you see on social media, but like yeah. Emily Newsom spent like three weeks in, or maybe not three, two, two weeks in Leadville. Yeah, I was amazed. That was one thing that I wanted to talk to Betsy about, I'm planning to talk to Betsy about, um, is just the commitment that so many people have for this race now. Like Keegan was there, for, I think like a week. Mm-hmm. He, he did a trip to Leadville yeah. to do, you know, testing and training went back home and then went back to Leadville. Lachlan was just in Leadville for like two weeks. Yeah. Um, there were a handful of people. The altitude tent. I think Sophia yeah. and Keegan were doing the altitude tent thing. And yeah, doing the stage race before, that was smart. Both yeah. Lauren and Sophia did that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure some other folks did it too. Um, yeah. That was smart. Get your gear organized. So yeah, Sophia ran those really tiny tires yeah that was, that was cool. interesting she ran 47s i think yeah like gravel tires 47 tracers um with inserts mm. which paid off she's i mean she said it in her instagram post but she yeah. probably would not have won without mm-hmm. them which is also saying something like if you can just be like well i put fast tires on and like maybe ruth was the stronger yeah, on the day but because totally. i had a skinny tire true true she did it yeah cool um, yeah okay that's really all the notes i got that's great i have one more question yeah how do you sleep before this race oh i don't at all i didn't sleep very well the night before i can't remember what happened to me last year (laughs) honestly camping was really nice because it's cold and you just like sleep when it's cold but sleeping at elevation is hard period Yeah, yeah how much sleep do you think you actually got it was like i think i probably got like four or five good hours it was like that sleep where you're you're kind of awake yeah asleep and you hate it the whole time yeah like am i am i awake or am i asleep it's so hard because you have to wake up so early yeah and i was just so nervous like i just wanted it to go well you know like deep down you're like i just want this to go well yeah yeah if you could see into the future yeah cool well where do you sit in the grand prix now um well they added or they took out everyone's drop races bumped me back and it kind of bummed me out to be honest but um yeah so i moved from fifth to 13th which feels like a big sting but i know that everyone's you know people that didn't go to certain races and did really well and other races moved up um so it all makes sense (laughs) yeah no complaints here but um yeah it's gonna stay really I mean, what we saw last year is it just stays crazy dynamic right up until the very last race. People totally. are just moving all over the leaderboard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm putting, you know, some good work in for Schwam again and definitely the rad. Um, yeah. I think the rad will be sweet. Yeah. I don't know how many people are going to show up to that one, but... Doesn't it... Does it conflict with Gravel Worlds? No. Gravel no. Worlds is the first... I think it's the first weekend. Or it's the, the third weekend. I think it's the first weekend of October. Of October. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was in September. It shows I'm not going, so it shows what I know. I don't know. We'll have to look it up. Anyway, cool, Ellen. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Field report complete. You're welcome.
welcome. Thanks for having me on. Talk to you after Schwamigan. Yeah, we get to keep doing this. Yay! Yay. <laughs> okay, transitioning now into a very special edition of Power File Analysis. I say very special because we saw one of the most incredible athletic performances I've ever seen in person. Um, and it's also one of, if not the most incredible power file I've ever seen in my life. And this has also uh, been echoed by a handful of my friends and colleagues who pay attention to these sorts of things and are data nerds and all that sort of thing. Um, and of course, who I'm talking about is Keegan Swenson and his really mind-boggling uh, Leadville 100 record. So as Betsy and I discussed, um, the Leadville 100 was more competitive than it's ever been. Everyone went faster. You know, the top 10 went by far faster than any top 10 previously. Uh, I think second through 11th was separated by 10 minutes, which is for uh, over a six hour race with this much selectivity is very, very, very tight. Um, and yet first was 25 minutes ahead of second place. Um, I'm so glad that Keegan published his power file as he always does, uh, because the numbers kind of, they're what would have to happen for him to go this fast. And it, it's just, it's mind boggling. I mean, it's, I'm really still a week later, kind of at a loss for words. Um, and so we're going to go through it. Before we do that, I want to give a quick honorable mention to Russell Finsterwald, who also did a really impressive ride. And just quickly, he, he's not someone that usually keeps his files visible. He usually hides his power, but he kept it vi visible this time. Um, and so I wanted to take the opportunity and quickly jump into a couple of things in that regard. So Russell was in our lead group and then um, flatted at the bottom of Powerline. And thanks to the Strava effort comparison, um, I was able to check in on how much time he lost with that initial flat. And he lost 30 seconds on our lead group as he plugged his tire. And also, um, thanks to Lifetime's helicopter coverage, you can actually see the very moment. Uh, there's a YouTube video that they published uh, from the helicopter. You can see the very moment he flatted and watch him, you know, scramble to, to plug this hole, which he does in about 30 seconds, which is pretty quick but it's the absolute worst time to flat. So the Leadville 100 course, I guess maybe I should go over that quickly, is an out and back. It's very unique in that regard. It's not a strict out and back. There's a couple of small detours, but predominantly it's an out and back. Uh, it's a really special aspect of this race, really unique. Um, it can definitely create some dicey moments, especially on Columbine when you have these thousands of amateur riders riding up a switchbacky, twisty dirt road descent. You've got pros screaming down trying to close little gaps going well over 40 miles an hour but we all know that's part of this race um and so you do your best to limit those risks um that said uh just quickly running through the actual defining aspects of the course um you start in leadville and i know i'm kind of going out of order here i'll i'll go back to russell in a second but i wanted to uh give a thumbnail sketch of the course because it it kind of explains why his flat was so inopportune. Every flat is inopportune, but the one uh, he had was just kind of the worst timing possible, and I'll get into that. So 
The course starts obviously in Leadville at about 10,000 feet. You begin by going down a false flat pavement descent for the first couple of miles. Fun point about this, I ran a 38 tooth chain ring for the first time at this race and thought for a second early on that I was having gear issues because I went to shift into a bigger gear and no shift happened. And I looked down and I realized I was already in the 10 cog. So I was in the 3810 geared out 30 seconds into this race because Keegan's teammate, Tobin Ortenblad, was on the front absolutely drilling it, uh, just trying to set Keegan up for this record attempt, gobble up as much time as possible. And apparently when we fit, when after we did this first uh, preliminary false flat downhill section and then a little bit of rolling dirt road before we hang a left and go up the first climb, we were already something like four minutes ahead of record time, um, which says a lot about how Keegan and uh, his team were approaching this race. So anyway, you take a left and it narrows quickly into St. Kevin's climb, which is about a 10 to 15 minute effort. Just for reference, over the years, I've seen times just tumble on what is required to make the lead group over this first climb. I remember the first time uh, I did this race to make the lead group, I did something like 315 watts. Um, and these days, I have to do 340 to 360 to make that lead group. And we're doing that first pretty short climb a full minute faster than 2017 and 2018, the first couple of years I did this, this race. The course then kind of rolls and actually kind of switches between single track and double track for a little while. Then you pop out on a very fast, smooth paved descent. Smooth, obviously, is pavement. Um, and then you hang a right and do the second big climb. This is Sugarloaf. It starts out fairly mellow and gradual, wide dirt road, and then pinches into a very bumpy, rocky, rough double track. Um, and this ends up being around a 20 minute effort, I believe. And then you bomb down the power line descent, which is, uh, notorious. Um, it's actually pretty technical and rocky, super fast. And the bottom is very steep. And then you pop out on the pipeline section, which is a long hour long rolling section, no major climbs, mostly dirt road and pavement. And this is where group dynamics are super crucial. Um, and Russell flatted right before that section, which means he missed the lead group train, uh, which always is a big deal, but especially this year when we had 14 strong in the lead group, uh, rotating well, everyone was, you know, fitter than they've ever been. And so Russell initially lost 30 seconds, um, and then stopped to get a wheel change, I assume at that pipeline aid station and lost an additional 50 seconds. So a minute 20, um, just for working on his bike and then continued to bleed time to our lead group because he was riding solo. And during this time, during this hour long period, this rolling section between major climbs, he averaged 290 Watts for an hour and still continued to bleed time to us, which shows you just how fast the lead group is rolling. So after that hour long, uh, rolling section where there's lots of drafting, you hit Columbine, which is either Columbine or Powerline are the most infamous sections. Uh, Powerline being a climb on the way back. Columbine is for the, the front group um, anywhere between, well, for Keegan, it's about a 51 or 52 minute effort. For the rest of us, it's about an hour. Um, and it's mostly straightforward, fairly smooth, like seven to 10% grade 
um, for the first 40 minutes or so. And then the last 15 to 20 minutes kick up like crazy pitches over 20%, uh, really rocky. They actually call it the goat trail section. If you heard the podcast interview with Matt beers last year, he has a hilarious description of what it was like to come face to face with this section for the first time. It goes up to 12,500 feet of elevation. You flip around at the top and bomb back down and do everything backwards. So that means rolling power line section again on the way back. Um, and then a just absolutely gut wrenching, brutal 25 to 30 minute effort for the front runners up power line, really, really steep grades, just absolute grind, rocky, brutal, high elevation, like everything on this course. Uh, you do a quick descent down the rocky sugar loaf. Now descent, you go up about a, I think 10 to 12 minute paved climb. And then you bomb down St. Kevin's and then you have a long drag to the finish. Actually, it's um, flat-ish for maybe 10 minutes of dirt road, hop on a little bit of pavement. Then you hang a hard left and go up what's called the boulevard, which is, uh, I don't know, a mile or two long. And it just seems to go on forever, even though it's only a mile or two long and it's only about a two or 3% grade. It's just this drag. You're absolutely exhausted by that point. Um, The majority of the time I'm cramping (laughs) by this point and you're just surviving barn run and trying to get home and this year uh which is somewhat i have had one epic battle on this boulevard um but usually you don't see anyone ahead of you or behind you the race is plenty spread out at this point this year that was not the case i could see andreas seewald behind me and i could see peter vakoc in front of me um and so it was just full gas all the way to the line um and just for a little reference peter vakoc Race for quick step for a while, won a Belgian classic, Andreas Seewald, 2021 marathon mountain bike world champion and current German marathon national champion. So that just goes to show you how deep this field has gotten. It's certainly the depth of field isn't quite on the level of say like a, a marathon world series race or marathon world championships, just from a depth standpoint, but from a peak speed standpoint, there was no one beating Keegan. I, I don't know of anyone that could have beaten Keegan that day, and, and we'll get into that. But it's just so competitive now. And with the exception of Keegan, like I said, we had just a 10-minute gap between 2nd and 11th. And so going back to Russell, he really had his work cut out for him to work his way back into that top 10 and then pick off as many of those places as he could. And so he did that 290 watts for the hour leading into Columbine and then still managed to do 303 watts for the 57 minute effort up Columbine. So he averaged almost 300 for two hours solo, uh, which is just an incredible effort. And I I wanted to give him a shout out for that because he really had the deck stacked against him that day. And I think he ended up sixth. And when you see uh, the numbers he put out, it makes sense. Okay, moving on to Keegan. This is where I'm I'm almost at a loss for words and you just kind of have to look like just let the numbers speak for themselves. So a couple of things to reiterate here uh, to keep in mind. When you're at altitude, and I talked about this during Crusher, when you're at altitude, the power that you can put out at threshold especially goes down exponentially as you go up in altitude. So the difference in performance reduction between 5,000 and 6,000 feet is not as significant as the difference between 11,000 and 12,000 feet. So 
at 12,000 feet, you're looking at way over a 20% reduction in output, probably more like 25%. And um, this is just sort of like, to an extent, or at least I thought, just a law. Like your oxygen, your body can only utilize the oxygen that is available in the air. And it's a very exponential relationship between the amount of O2 in the air and altitude. It just is what it is. It's just a, it's just a matter of earth and our atmosphere. And so you can really do a pretty tried and true conversion. So basically, uh, we know percentage wise down to the 0.1%, uh, what reduction, you know, you're going to have at 5,000 feet, 6,000 feet, 7,000 feet, et cetera. So we can do, um, there, there's a, a plugin called the sauce plugin that works with Strava and basically just gives you, um, an immediate conversion. So the numbers that Keegan put out would be impressive at sea level. But when you account for the fact that the average altitude of this race is actually, I can give you an exact average altitude. The average altitude of the Leadville 100 race is 10,100 feet. The average change in performance is a 20% reduction in power. So let's look as a first number. Let's look at total the total race. Keegan did this thing in 543. Yeah, 543.30. So almost a six-hour effort. And he averaged 274 watts. Uh, his weight is listed at 65.5 kilos, which means when you do the adjustment for altitude, he averaged 329 watts. At 65.5 kilos, that's 5 watts per kilogram. 5 watts per kilogram. That's insane. <laughs> that's like... I, I haven't seen... Uh, and Okay, so... A classic, for example, that's maybe like a Belgian classic is about a six hour race. That's probably kind of the closest thing you could compare um, effort wise to a Leadville 100 effort, not because the course profile is the same, but because the races play out somewhat similarly. They're really aggressive from the start. You can't really use like a mountain stage and the Tour de France or something by one of the top GC riders because the top GC riders are basically never going you know, going this hard from the start, they wait for the last climb or the next last climb. Um, and so, you know, there, there aren't too many comparisons when you look at the, the six hour effort as a whole. Uh, but three thirty average sea level average is just unreal, unreal, but it's not the most unbelievable thing. The next most incredible, th and I want to be careful, by the way, I should just say this right now. I want to be careful with the word unbelievable. Um, I believe in Keegan. Um, I've had some people ask me whether this effort was believable. I think he is a generational athlete. I trust him. Um, I have had many conversations with him about doing things uh, ethically, following the rules, not using drugs. Um, and I remember one case in particular, actually, at the Breck Epic a few years ago when we had this guy uh, show up from South America who'd served two doping suspensions. Um, and Keegan's sole goal in life that week was to make this guy's life hell. Every time this guy would attack, Keegan was the first to shut him down. So when I say the word unbelievable, it's not because I think something 
fishy is going on here. It's just really hard for me to wrap my head around. Okay, so continuing. Let's talk about Columbine. So this is where Keegan really kicked off and uh, separated himself and basically went on his quest to do this course as fast as he could. He averaged 327 watts for 51 minutes. Adjusted for sea level, that's 399 watts. 6.1 watts per kilo for upwards of an hour. Upwards of an hour. And that's with two and a half hours of racing in the legs already in the middle of that effort his peak uh like when he was riding the most consistent where the terrain allowed because that's the other thing this is off-road this isn't even on pavement like you can't pedal as consistently as you can on the pavement so that's the other thing to keep in mind here um your your pedal stroke is being interrupted constantly but i isolated a section in the middle of columbine where uh, he sort of had the, the, the cleanest, flattest uh, power output, the most steady. It was 35 minutes and 20 seconds, 348 average, 433 sea level power. That's 6.61 watts per kilogram. That's in the middle of Columbine. This is while he's pacing for upwards of an hour-long effort. I'm going to get back to how this compares to the, the strongest riders in the world, the guys that are doing the tour of the GC riders, because that's, that's the level you have to go to, to see other athletes that are even in the same realm. And, and we'll talk about if anyone actually has done <laughs> these numbers, if you believe the sea level conversion peak 20 minute again, in the middle of Columbine. So his peak 20 minute was in the middle of an hour long effort, 6.7 Watts per kilogram, 352 average, but 440 when adjusted for elevation. As impressive as all, is, all of that is, for me, potentially one of the most impressive um, aspects of this file was actually his climb back on power line. He averaged 333 for 24 and a half minutes. That's 403 sea level power, 6.2 watts per kilogram. But the thing is, this is with four hours and 20 minutes of racing in the legs and 4,200 kilojoules. That is unreal. Unreal doing 6.2 for 24 minutes after racing flat out for four plus hours is just, it's hard to find anything to compare to. So I tried to. There's another podcast that I love listening to. Well, there's a handful of podcasts I love listening to very much, but a cycling podcast that I think does one of the most unique, fun things out there right now. It's called the Lantern Rouge podcast, and they do... Uh, a lot of performance analysis on their website. And so they have a graph where they plot, it's a plot graph of the top climbing performances in World Tour Cycling in 2023. And so you can look at uh, the the duration. So they have five minute, 10 minute, 15, 20, 25. And it's just a scatter plot. And you have watts per kilogram on the X axis or the Y axis and time on the X axis. So if we go over here to around 50 minutes, 51 minutes, to find a comp for Keegan's Columbine effort, who do we find here? Geraint Thomas, Monte Bondone in the Giro d'Italia. This is when Geraint was in the pink jersey. He was leading the Giro this year. This is a man that's won the Tour de France, I'll remind you. What did he do for 54 minutes? So three minutes longer than Keegan's Columbine effort. 
5.9 watts per kilogram. 5.9. That's point, what do I have here? That's point 0.2 less than what Keegan did. The guy that was leading the Giro. Let's look at something else. Let's look at... Uh, let's try to find an effort comparison for the middle section. Columbine. Sorry, bear with me here. There's, I'm looking at a lot of data. <laughs> All right, let's pull up the numbers for um, another pretty good bike rider. Jonas Vingago, two-time defending champion of the Tour de France. Earlier in the year, he had a very dominant performance at a race called the Basque Country where he did some of the highest power outputs and, and climbing performances ever seen in the modern era of cycling. So granted, this is a little bit shorter um, than Keegan's peak 20 minute. This is a 16 and a half minute effort. Output 7.0 watts per kilo for Jonas Vingago. That's only 0.3 watts per kilogram better than Keegan when Keegan was pacing an hour-long effort. <laughs> what the fuck? It's so insane. Like, I, can't, I just, I can't really wrap my head around this. So what is all, what is all this? I mean, we could go on, but the point is Keegan has at Leadville, if you believe the altitude conversion, again, this is if you believe the altitude conversion, which theoretically is backed up by science, you know, literally the... <laughs> atmospheric science of our planet um, and human physiology, if you believe that conversion Keegan has done equal to and better than the riders that are winning Grand Tours. So what's going on here? The only thing I can think of is that Keegan is an absolute generational talent and potentially altitude affects him differently than almost everybody else. Uh, he grew up at altitude, he trains at altitude, um, and he's potentially just an, an absolute altitude freak of nature. And so these typical conversions don't really convert the same for him. He isn't as affected by altitude as most other people. Uh, and I mean, this is sort of what Lachlan was alluding to um, in, his, in his post when he said he thinks the only person on the face of the earth that could have gone toe to toe with Keegan at this year's Leadville 100 is Sepp Kuss because Sepp is one of the top climbers in the world and also grew up at altitude and performs incredibly well at altitude. Um, so yeah, I mean, it just leaves, it leaves me pretty floored. Um, honestly, I had a couple of, I'll, I'll admit I had a couple of sleepless nights just like, what do we do? You know, and kind of like Betsy and I talked about, like, I don't, I don't know that there really is a whole lot to do. We're living in a pretty crazy area era with Keegan doing performances like this. And we just have to take our opportunities at events that aren't as high and don't, you know, suit his incredible, you know, once in a generation talents. That's all the file analysis I'm going to do, uh, this week. I think that's long enough, 24 minutes here. Um, We'll dive into some of the women's files uh, after Schwamigan 40. Um, hope that's okay with all y'all. I don't want these podcasts to go too, too long. And Keegan's performance this year at the Leadville 100 was just so unbelievably historic that uh, I figured it deserved some extra time. So anyway, that's what I got. Thank y'all so much for listening. 
Hello again, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed that recap episode. Um, I also want to say a thank you to all of the folks that came up to Nicole and me today at Steamboat Gravel. We were we spent a lot of time at the venue. All of a sudden, SBT feels like a mini sea otter. It is just going off. It is incredible. And I want to say a thank you to everyone that came up and told us how much we appreciate the episode. There was a funny period of like 45 seconds where I swear seven different people told us that they love the podcast. Um, And I got to tell you here, 9.50 at night, two days before my race, um, that is motivation (laughs) because this this can be a grind. I love doing this project, um, but hearing how much it means to all of you uh, goes so far. So thank you. I also want to say thank you to Dometic for supporting today's episode. Like I said at the top of the show, we are massive fans of their CFX line of powered coolers, especially their 25, little 25 liter. Uh, So they make a whole bunch of different sizes of these. The 25 liter is really compact, but still can carry up to 40 cans, uh, beverage cans, uh, really flexible power capabilities. You can uh, do AC, DC power off a vehicle, off a solar panel off of one of their portable lithium batteries, whatever. Uh, We throw it in the back of vehicles all the time. It bounces around, doesn't complain at all. Uh, We just use it each and every week and have been for years now. You can get 20% off with code STASH23. That's S-T-A-C-H-E 23 at Dometic.com. Go check it out. I want to say a big thank you to Lily McKelvin for editing and producing each and one of these shows. Thanks to her also for maintaining the Adventure Stash Instagram account. If you want to get a little visual to go along with this episode, you can go watch some reels, uh, some various highlights. And speaking of content, one more shout out. Crossing Tasmania is officially live online. You can go to Red Bull TV and stream it or to my YouTube channel, uh, which is just under my name. Uh, This is a film I'm really proud of. It was a massive amount of work. Definitely the most ambitious film project that I have spearheaded thus far. We produced it ourselves with Stash House Productions, but had a ton of help with a rock star crew of Joey Schusler, Thomas Woodson, photographer Thrawen Kolbjensen from Iceland, um, Aiden Haley, Zach Caputo, Nicole, of course, um, an incredible on-the-ground team, including Emma Flukes, who's in the film, Gareth Sutcliffe, Peter Colburn. I mean, we just had, it was a massive team effort. uh, And to see it, finally go live and have it be received so well already just in its first day out there means a ton and we'd love it if you'd go check it out Um, it's a lot about a lot more than just a bike ride anyway uh, that's all we got for this week we will catch you next week thanks for listening as always